So there was a spiritual teacher named Gurdjieff. Are people familiar with Gurdjieff? Yeah, Gurdjieff was um, an Eastern European consciousness teacher, an enigmatic character, an innovative thinker and philosopher. And actually, some of the founding members of ZCO, when Zen Community of Oregon was a barn and a small house on the Columbia River Gorge, came from a Gurdjieff community in, uh, in Oregon, which I think may still exist. And Gurdjieff's um, teaching is much too nuanced to summarize in any way, except that it's about knowing thyself. And I like to bring in uh, teachings from other uh, traditions. On an outer level, spiritual teachers don't always seem to be talking about the same thing. On an inner level, they often do. Do all mountains lead to the top of the mountain? Who the hell knows? Anybody who pretends to know, I think, is just pretending. But Dharma gates are boundless. So I'm going to do, some of you are familiar with my style. I'll read a little bit of Gurdjieff and then um, offer some uh, comments. So this was called Gurdjieff, uh, excuse me, people call this the t teaching of Gurdjieff man's most important mistake. Gurdjieff says, one of man's most important mistakes, one which must be remembered, is his illusion in regard to his eye. It's not just men. Her illusion in regard to her eye. Their illusion in regard to their eye. That's the first line of this little teaching, and that's the first principle of Zen. Can't state it enough. Our prime concern, if we look to the prime culprit, that which has stolen our happiness, our fearlessness, our sense that the universe is meaningful, etc. It is I. It is the sense of I am. That is our prime concern, to know I's truth more clearly. Not necessarily in a psychological way. To know I is not to spend more time thinking about what our parents did or didn't do. Or seeking the origin for different patterns in us. We're talking about a more fundamental investigation of, of I. And if we know the truth of our I more clearly, we know the world and other beings' truth more clearly. That's the fundamental invitation in Zen practice. Dogen Zenji said, to study the Buddha way is to study the self. Again, not in a psychological, personal narrative way, necessarily. Um, 
we enter through the gate of uh, humility in Dharma, and that humility that's absolutely necessary is the humility that we're in illusion. That suffering is caused by uh, illusion, by not seeing clearly. So when we sit down to meditate, we may appreciate becoming more calm, but the intent of Zazen is to expose illusion. It's a means of, of doing that. And Gurdjieff says her illusion is in regard to her I. I am is the illusion. Self-image. The basic consciousness as a center is misunderstood. We don't get the most fundamental thing, mostly because our education does not have a contemplative component where we actually look at it. We examine and analyze everything in this world. Isn't it amazing you find there's someone who's a, a worm expert and there's somebody who's an expert on 19th century Estonian uh, antiques and then you find somebody who devoted their whole life to the study of rare whatever it's. But very rarely do you meet someone who's devoted that much energy, who's gotten a graduate level degree in what is consciousness, not as an object, but what is this thing I think I am. Especially in the West, we are very, very far behind Asia in the study of consciousness. Anyway, so Gurdjieff says, one of man's most important mistakes one which must be remembered is their illusion in regard to their I. Foundation of, of Zen, the whole point. Mr. Gurdjieff continued, Man such as we know him, the man-machine, in quotes, the man who cannot do, and with whom and through whom everything happens, cannot have a permanent and single I. And you can, again, this is in the chat if you're interested in following Gurdjieff's words. Man such as we know him, the man-machine, the man who cannot do and with whom and through whom everything happens cannot have a permanent and single eye. The man-machine. One of the premises of the Gurdjieff work and of Dharma as well is that unless we do concentrated spiritual work, we are automatons. And it sucks to be an automaton. We actually feel and are disturbed by our lack of non-habitual freedom. That the human spirit is suffocated by um, how little free will we actually have. In these traditions, Gurdjieff's and Zen, 
Free will is not a given. Free will is earned. It's developed through awareness. Otherwise, we're the man machine. We're following instinctual and social and other uh, karmic patterns. I think it sucks to be an automaton. Even positive automation is dissatisfying on a spiritual level. Meaning even that which um, brings pleasure and may be good according to other people or society's view, if it is done without consciousness, if it's done on autopilot, it's questionable whether it's uh, meaningful to us. This, um, hopefully, if we begin to observe this, it hopefully does generate dissatisfaction. Here's another mistake in um, Buddhist teaching. It's not good for you to be satisfied. It is not helpful. It's not helpful to just be satisfied with your life as it is if that satisfaction is resting on a lack of examination of what, how we really behave and think and are. So we want to see how reactive patterns are machine-like and be disturbed by that. We're supposed to be disturbed by it. It is disturbing. We're all disturbed by other people's automaton-ness. Everybody has a finger to point at someone else who's unconscious. The, the automaton-like nature of us is, um, you know, sometimes when you see it, it's ghastly, actually. You can watch yourself saying the same thing to people or the same, you walk into the grocery store and they don't have your favorite pickles and a reactive pattern goes off and it's, you can witness that and it's, it's unbelievable. Um, not because it's wrong, but because it is like a kind of, it's like one of those old computers where you'd feed in the paper and you'd get, you know, you'd get some readout. We're like machines that get a readout. Such and such happens. Our brother-in-law smirks at a certain way at us and all of a sudden we're all aflame with bitterness, like a machine. The absence of um, actual responsiveness. And just notice that I harped on that. I was interested in riffing on the on our autom automatonness. I'm not sure why. Maybe it's important or maybe I need to hear it. Gurdjieff said, man who cannot do. The man who cannot do. That is really interesting. I think that, that, that is worthy of, of further uh, inquiry, what he means there. But I, on one level, the I creates this false sense of isolation, which is a lie. 
So the I is a kind of, it's a kind of lie because it's, it's um, not telling the truth. The thought I am is not telling the truth. And then the feeling thought of taking action as a separate agent is a lie on top of that. Everything that happens is in concert with everything. And so to take credit fully or to take blame fully are both the mistakes of this I. All action is interdependence action. And we try to consider everything as interdependency. For example, the Zen precepts, which are a recipe to not be an automaton, or at least be a good automaton. They're all about interdependency. That's why they're not fixed rules. They acknowledge that life is situational. The self is a situation. The self is a situation that, that has no inside or outside. And Gurdjieff continues, so he says, Man such as we know him, the man-machine, the man who cannot do, and with whom and through whom everything happens, cannot have a permanent and single eye. His eye changes as quickly as his thoughts, feelings, and moods. And she makes a profound mistake in considering herself always one and the same person. In reality, he is always a different person, not the one he was a moment ago. We have to be keenly present, keenly present in our lives to begin to notice this as a reality. This is not a philosophy. There is a teaching in the Abhidhamma. The Abhidhamma is the earliest compilation of Buddhist psychology about what the mind is and how it works. And in the Abhidhamma, it's said that in one finger snap, there's something like 84,000 instants. And that the human being, because we are made of instants, is arising and disappearing that many times. We are radically impermanent, like a flip book. Remember flip books? I just realized I loved flip books as a kid. Anytime I could find a pad, I would make a flip book and it was so delightful. And that's a real Dharma teaching. Because our existence is actually, from one important perspective, is frame by frame. But it goes so fast you can't see that. Gurdjieff says, in reality she is always a different person, not the one he was a moment ago. So first of all, consider the freedom of not being the person you were a moment ago. How many of us are lagging what happened a moment ago into this moment? Like how much weight is there accumulated by the end of the day 
of moments that are still like stagnant water. Consider the freedom of not being the person you were a year ago. Or 10 years ago. It's weird, the body is always up to speed. (laughs) There's no doubt that we weren't the person we were 10 years ago on the level of the body. It's so truthful. It, It displays hard truth. In a way, every decade is hard. People think, oh God, my 20s and 30s. But think of the hormones that you suffered in your 20s and 30s. Or whatever it was. So we're different, but connected. We're connected, but free of. And allowing everyone this. So we look outwardly. In reality, they are always a different person. They are not the people they were a moment ago. We hardly allow other people the freedom to arise freshly. There's some investment in them being the fossilized perception in our mind. No one can talk us out of it. Um, I had a new thought as I was reading this. And my new thought is that the core greed is our story of ourselves. That's the core greed. That's the thing that's so hard to let go of. In a moment of awakening, you lose your past. You become a person without you become independent of your story entirely. You can access it. You can tell people about it. You can remember that you have that story. But you become free of it in a profound way. Our core greed is our we cling to our definition of who we are. We know that's true because we think, I'm not like those people. We know that's true because of the friction of our story versus other people's story of who we are. So this is kind of ridiculous. Um, The core greed, we're holding on to something that really only exists on a mental level. The body is up to speed. It does tell a story. It It is a story. It's a very simple story. So we cling to the definition of who we are and we have to see this on a thought level, on a body pattern level, on a feeling level. It's part of why it's important when you sit zazen to sit in the Buddha posture, which is upright. Because part of our self-narrative is carried in the way we hold our bodies and rarely do we hold our bodies naturally in the in the kind of zazen posture but as you as you put yourself in that posture and you're willing to correct it and you're actually undoing 
the story of who you are by embodying, bodying forth in a different way. In the training monasteries of Zen, there's a lot of emphasis on holding your body differently. You hold your body in a way that is not in accord with how your story has shaped it. Yeah. Gurdjieff says, man has no permanent and unchangeable I. Every thought, every mood, every desire, every sensation says I. Man has no permanent and unchangeable I. Every thought, every mood, every desire, every sensation says I. Now to wisdom awareness, for example, when we're, we've activated that in our sitting, there's just the phenomena of body and mind arising. But a feeling doesn't say I. It's a feeling. Even a thought doesn't say I. It's just a thought. It's a word. Think about what a thought form is. It's a... It's a Subjectively, it's a piece of language that floats into consciousness that has carries referential meaning. It doesn't say I. The body is not saying I. Gurdjieff continues, and in each case it seems to be taken for granted that this I belongs to the whole, to the whole person, and that a thought, a desire, or an aversion is expressed by this whole. In actual fact, there is no foundation whatsoever for this assumption. Man's every thought and desire appears and lives quite separately and independently of the whole. And the whole never expresses itself for the simple reason that it exists as such only physically as a thing, that is the body, and in the abstract as a concept. Let me read that again in case you're not following along in the chat. In each case it seems to be granted, taken for granted, that this I belongs to the whole to the whole man, and that a thought, a desire, or an aversion is expressed by this whole. In actual fact, there is no foundation whatsoever for this assumption. Man's every thought and desire appears and lives quite separately and independently of the whole. And the whole never expresses itself for the simple reason that it exists as such only physically as a thing and in the abstract as a concept. So in practice, we're, we're witnessing and embracing the, the myriad expressions of thought, emotion, attitude. Without belongingness, that is, we're training and not identifying with what arises. And paradoxically, at the same time, with responsibility. 
This is a big, um, this for the mind is a contradiction. It's a, it's a contradiction that can't really be resolved on the level of the mind. It's only resolved in direct experience. Parts of us are arising, but they aren't the whole. They are not the representative of some essential being in us and yet we're responsible for what arises. There are myriad expressions. Myriad expressions. There's part of me that gets irritated when someone tells me I did the dishes wrong. There's part of me that doesn't care at all. There's part of me that loves to come here on Wednesday night and teach Dharma. There's part of me that would be rather be lying on the couch right now. None of them are the whole. They're just expressions. So the awareness that we, we deepen in practice is not a part itself. It's a, it's a conductor. It's like a gatekeeper. Because this begs the question, well, of all, there are all these different parts that are coming forth. And none of them are the whole. But all of them are expressions coming out of me. Well, what, what part of myself do I give life to? Or it raises the question of authenticity. We could call the awareness that we practice um, a love filter. It's a love filter because increasingly what comes forth as a myriad expression is skillful. We filter. Man has no fixed eye, Gurdjieff is saying. Authenticity is a tricky concept. In awakening's vision, we don't really believe in the authentic self so much. Personality manifestation is not authentic in this. It can't be authentic in the sense of authentic versus inauthentic. For example, some people say, well, I don't want to practice something like Tonglen or loving kindness because I'm actually feeling angry. So to practice loving kindness would be inauthentic because my true feelings are underneath. And this is just like pink icing. But it's all just an expression. What makes one more authentic than another? Gurdjieff continues, Man has no individual eye, but there are instead hundreds and thousands of separate small eyes, very often entirely unknown to one another, never coming into contact, or on the contrary, hostile to each other mutually exclusive and incompatible. Each minute, each moment, man is saying or thinking, I, and each time his I is different. Just now it was a thought, 
Now it is a desire, now a sensation, now another thought, and so on endlessly. Man is a plurality. Man's name is legion.